Hello and welcome to episode number 16 of the IoT for All podcast and another episode of our Ask IoT series. I'm your host, Ryan Chacon, the Editor-in-Chief of IoT for All, and I'm joined today by Scott Nelson, the Chief Product Officer of Digi International. Digi International, for those of you who are unfamiliar, is a global provider of Internet of Things connectivity products and services. Scott himself has actually been in the industry for over 25 years, where he has led product development and business growth as a technology and business leader. At Digi, he directs the vision, strategy, and roadmaps of the company's product uh, business, and I'm super excited to have him on. So first off, Scott, welcome, and thanks for being on the show today. Why don't you go ahead and take a few seconds here to introduce yourself to the audience and tell them a little bit more about you. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, so uh, as I as said, I'm a Chief Product Officer at Digi International. I've been here for about 18 months, but I've been in the working in the IoT uh, I will I will say for over 25 years. Um, I'm a physicist by training, actually a solid state semiconductor physicist. So I've loved MEMS technology all my life, uh, which is a very important technology in IoT today. Uh, I've been a systems person uh, pretty much all my product development years. I've mostly worked in R&D and product development. Um, I was very pleased to see one of your first podcasts talk about design. I'm a very yeah, design centric. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, a very design-centric uh, person. The first time I met designers, I was doing head-mounted displays for uh, soldiers and and uh, pilots, and uh, I discovered designers actually are systems thinkers at a level I hadn't previously understood, which was including the user at a level that you know is really important. So, um, very much excited about uh, you know about talking with you about design and the impact it has on on IoT. Um, a Grew up in Minnesota, born and raised in Minnesota, went to school out in New York for a few years, but all my life and all my family is here, grandfather today, so I get fun watching my third generation and learn and understand technology. I think I grew up professionally at Honeywell. I was very fortunate to be in the corporate R&D center at Honeywell, so I've been on almost all types of vehicles and all types of manufacturing plants because Honeywell was such a diverse industrial automation and controls and and uh and building controls company. And that's kind of how I got into IOT early. You know, we were doing what today is called IOT. You know, the big industrial complex companies have been doing for maybe even 50 years, they could argue. Um, and Digi is actually like that. Digi's been doing M to M connectivity, doing some of the first machine to machine communication boards, the Digi board for over 30 years. So um, Minnesota in general has a lot of IOT history and, um, excited to be here uh, to today and talking to you about about a number of things I'm sure uh, that'll, <laughs> that'll kind of relate to the technology and what's happening today yeah no it's um it's kind of great your background's really interesting to me because especially the design side and obviously this is not a design focused podcast overall but I think the the place that design has in IOT as it become as IOT becomes more of a um, popular, not just term, but actually seeing these products developed and more companies wanting to invest the time and the money into them. Um, design is playing a more important role to actually make these solutions usable and to actually see ROI for a lot of these companies, which I think is a huge proponent of what is going to cause IoT to continue to have a high level of adoption or have the adoption at least yeah. open where it is now. So it's very cool to have somebody on who who really starts to see that. And the more people I think that start seeing that, the, the more we're going to... Uh, see IoT explode because at the end of the day, people are using these things and it's not just machines interacting with them. So we, the design does matter. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. 
So why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit more about Digi International, kind of what you guys do, what your role as CPO entails, and you know, kind of how you came to the company, like that story. Being. Yeah. So as I said, Digi uh, has been working. It's one of the oldest companies, one of the older companies in what would be called, you know, M to M, and now IoT. Um, today, you know, our tagline, "Connect with Confidence," uh, really supports two businesses. Uh, Ron Knezny, our CEO, joined about three or four years ago, and one of the first things Ron did was was see that we had a lot of technology here, but we we uh, were not a full stack provider. And he, uh, you know, there was an acquisition of about four companies in what's traditionally known as the cold chain, and they have now uh, we're one of the largest providers of of uh, food safety, pharmaceutical safety, and logistics safety solutions, full stack solutions. And uh, some of those solutions incorporate the products that we sell on the IoT products and services side of the business. That's still the majority of our business, um, but it is a, a, what I would call, what we call a partial stack solution. So we're supporting manufacturers and solution providers. Often now we're actually supporting other solution providers with, with integrated hardware and IoT stack um, components. Uh, device management being one of them, and I've I've read what you've written about device management. I thought I was reading something I wrote. Actually, we have very similar views on device management and the criticality it holds in in pulling the stack together. Um, and so, as chief product officer, my job is to is to help figure out what is our strategy for growth uh, in the you know in the space. We have a lot of opportunity. We have a lot of good technology and legacy products to build upon. Um, and but we we are a company that was very hardware centric, and we uh, like many companies in you know the IoT space, particularly the industrial IoT space, uh, you know are pivoting from selling products to selling you know services and solutions, and uh, and pivoting from our, you know our new our trademark tagline is hardware enabled, software defined, mm -hmm. and I think this is something that will define most products going forward. Um, in, in most solutions going forward. Uh, and it's, you know, we've learned this from internet companies uh, that, and, you know, that are all software based. But I think what you're seeing in the, in the IoT is that software is becoming more and more important every single day. Absolutely. I mean, the hardware and the software components of IoT go hand in hand. I mean, it's no secret. Yep. Um, the, the importance that both play in the success. I mean, you can have incredible software in the processing that it's doing with the data and the you know, setting the data to the to be able to be understood and interacted with. But if the hardware is not able to collect the data or is not formed um, to meet the specific use case in the right way, there's, you know, it could kind of ruin everything. So, you, you know, both sides of it are critical to work together. Um, and, and I think, you know, as a chief product officer, I'm sure that's something that you guys ha or you personally have to deal with on a daily basis. And I'm curious kind of, in what areas of development do you kind of focus a lot more of your time and effort on? Or maybe what areas do you like stress out the most over when you're working yeah. on product development because of how important it is? So, you know, design, connectivity, cloud computing, data analysis, et cetera. Um, I'd love for you to kind of touch on that. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, the first thing I would say is, is uh, you know, what I'm kind of trying to teach here and trying to stress here is to always approach any problem with a systems view. Sure. And uh, that's where design comes in. Uh, when you Because when you have a systems view, you'll understand that you, you know, a lot of times for a company like Digi, our customers are not necessarily our users. 
um, you know, the customer may right. be putting a solution together, but the user is a different person. And in our development team, you know, we have to go make sure we, we talk to and watch and observe and work with users. Because as you said before, probably the most important thing about IoT uh, in the context of design is, you know, the IoT is is an expectation or has an expectation of a SaaS implementation, you know, a software as a service and right. experience as a service implementation. And in that world, uh, you know, churn, product-centric companies don't worry about churn. IoT companies have to worry about churn. And churn is in the hands of the users. If they decide this this thing doesn't give me what I expect, they set it down. And when they set it down, it stops generating mm -hmm. revenue. And 100%. that's why, you know, design and users are so important. Um, so design, you know, is, is something systems thinking and, and design go very much hand in hand. Um, the connectivity is is all about, you know, today the connectivity is, is all about standards. And uh, I don't believe in one standard for IoT. I think there's going to be many standards. And I think the it's not as much about standards uh, per se as it is interoperability and figuring out how to use the many different standards that are going to coexist. And so when mm -hmm. we look at connectivity today, we were architecting a family of products, making sure that we had the flexibility, you know, to offer interoperability between both markets and different customers. Um, and then the other part that, you know, there's there's no question that the the value you know, one of the de the definition of IoT I like the best is the digitization of the physical world. Yep. And and that's the data and the value from the data. You know, the analytics. That's what everybody you know is all about. Um, but I I think a big part of that. Uh, you know, we've had the experience of the cloud and particularly with five G, we're going to see we're already seeing and I know you're you're. Uh, uh, you've written about it as well is is moving compute back towards the edge sure. and uh, i think edge edge compute is something that digi's been a leader in for quite a while um, mm -hmm. everything we build now has edge compute partitioned edge compute capabilities and we think this is going to be uh, it's going to offer the flexibility to create value and the flexibility to create life cycle extension mm -hmm. um, you know, to have products that actually change over time to be, you know, to maintain their value, i.e. avoid churn. Right. And uh, so edge compute is something we spend a lot of a time on. Um, our solution side of the business is all about analytics because they're a full stack solution. Uh, most of the time we're supporting analytics and our customers are the ones that have the domain knowledge to implement it but we have to be able to provide them with the tools and an understanding of how to integrate it uh, in order to be effective in that role. Yeah, so needless to say, you're, you're involved in, in probably obsessing over all of the areas of an IoT solution on a daily basis, which yeah. makes your life, I'm sure, a lot of fun <laughs> and difficult at oh, times. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. Um, you know, when we do talk about design, uh, I know in, I, we talked about this before we got on here, but in our first episode, when Hannah and I had the opportunity to talk about design, we talked about its importance. And one of the things that we really believe in is the, the thinking about IoT solutions from the end user or like the use case backwards and not necessarily like you just said a second ago, it's, you know, your clients are not necessarily the end users and making sure that the clients understand who the end users are and you as someone who's building a solution can have access to those end users to talk to them because at the end of the day, clients are only going to be happy is if the end users use it so they can see the ROI to make it worth the investment. Um, in the process, or, or I'd love to kind of hear you take me through your process or your 
processes you've kind of had in the past. Um, when it comes to design, and how involved are you personally as CPO in the design process? And from your experiences, how do you think or how have you seen design evolve over the last years when it comes to development of, let's say, an IoT product or solution? Yeah. So a couple of questions there. Let me let me sure. kind of peel them back one at a time. Um, so I, I actually ran a design and engineering firm, uh, Logic PD, it was called, where we had it was a company founded by industrial designers and it had very strong industrial design. So that, and then those are the ones I actually hired them as a systems person at Honeywell to begin with. And so I had an appreciation for what design could do. Um, you know, I think, I think design as a, as a discipline, and I know Hannah talked about it on your podcast. I listened to it. The, the, one of the things that they've been very, you know, very consistent with is a focus on why, and I know Hannah talked about why in the podcast. Um, and, you know, that's that's probably the single biggest thing, you know, when we talk to new customers. And, and Digi has a wireless design services organization um, that does basically product development and, and does design and engineering for other companies. They often are integrating our products into those solutions. But when you meet somebody who says, okay, I want to do this and this and this, uh, you know, with IoT technologies and 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 do this you know one has to make sure that we stop and say well let's make sure we understand why we are doing this let's make sure we understand what problem we are solving and make sure that that problem really matters mm -hmm. and um and i think that's you know when i when i saw your you know the, the question and listened to the podcast you know that was that's designers do this just naturally right they start with with purpose and knowing that they're solving an important problem. And then once you know the problem you're solving and you know for whom you are solving it, i.e. which users, you know, that gives you the focus to make sure that the, that the solution that you provide is effective, you know, in their perception. And uh, one of my favorite designers told me, I remember him telling me, you know, users don't care about technology. They don't, they don't even want to see it, right? right? You know, the best products, you can't see the technology, you just see the experience. And that has, you know, that we all are familiar with that through, you know, both Android and, and I and Apple phones. Um, but we have to become, you know, we have to become comfortable with taking on that same point of view with all of our industrial IOT products, because sooner or later, every IOT solution ends up in the hands of a user. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, something you just said now, and that's really slipped my mind that I wanted to pull on, but um, but we can if I comes back to me, I'll, I'll bring it up. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, you also asked me, you know, how am I involved? Um, yeah. Yeah. So as a yeah. as the as the product officer, you know, we start with looking at markets um, and making sure we know which to which market we are going to focus. I'm a you know I I wrote down some of my favorite you know, thought leaders that I follow, mm -hmm. you know, Michael Porter, Peter Drucker, Simon Sinek, he's, you know, why the golden circle and why cool. Tim Brown from IDEO. But um, I think it was Porter who said, you know, the most important part of strategy is knowing what you're not doing mm -hmm. and making sure when you're a company with as much capability as Digi and with as many products and as much history as Digi, one of our single biggest challenges is making sure we're not trying to boil an ocean because you can, you know, we can try, you, should, you can try to do that with, with particularly IOT technology. Sure. So we start with identifying the markets that, you know, the markets that are adopting 
um, first of all, and the markets that have opportunity for the types of value propositions that that IoT brings. And uh, and then you know when we identify the markets, we start identifying you know customers in those markets. And then once you've identified those customers, you can start to identify use cases and users. And that's where we start when we get to our product development. You know, we tell the engineering team. Here's the people that we're trying to target. Here's the problem we're trying to solve. Help us do that. And then they, you know, they then engage in the user research and, and bring designers in to help understand user requirements in addition to product requirements. Are you guys active in the development of the actual hardware too for the solutions? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, absolutely. So uh, we have, you know, we have a hundred engineers in our R and D team, and then another thirty okay. or forty in our WDS team, which is essentially a variable resource to both us and our customers. We're building hardware and certifying cellular and wireless systems every day. Um, we don't have industrial designers on staff. We work with, you know, we, we kind of I uh, did that at Logic. I, my my preference today from Digi's point of view is to work with people who do that every day, all day, and do it across a, a wide range of markets. I'm particularly fond of, of designers who have worked in both industrial spaces and consumer spaces so that they can find, you know, understand the differences, but also understand the, the commonalities so that we can, you know, we can make sure that we build things that people want to use. Right. So... I believe like when you're thinking about designing a solution or product, you know, there's kind of two different design hats that need to be put on here. One for the hardware and building the hardware to the specs that are required or necessary for the use case, but then also the design side of the user interface and the part where the actual end user will interact with the, the, um, the solution. How do you kind of balance those two areas of design um and yeah. yeah it's a good it's a good question um for digi you know we don't we don't build wearables or handhelds okay uh, i've done that a lot in the past and of course if you're building wearables or handhelds you know your hardware design has a lot of industrial you know design and a lot of usability design right um but for Digi, we're, we're mostly building infrastructure hardware and connectivity hardware. Okay. Um, so the user focus there is all about deployment. It's all about installation. Um, I think that one of the single biggest misses uh, in, the, in the startups that I advise and in the companies we meet, um, one of the biggest reasons IoT uh, efforts fail is, is an, a lack of appreciation for deployment, okay. for how hard it is to deploy hardware, sure. and um, and one of the things we talked about earlier with you know hardware enabled, software defined. If you don't build your hardware with the forethought of problems, with the forethought of security issues, and the forethought of the need to change, you know you have to roll trucks. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've had customers with you know ten thousand things deployed. And those things were were deployed. In some cases, uh, we've seen you know seen situations where they did not anticipate you know certain changes in the in the technology or changes in the use case, and they have to roll trucks. If you have to roll ten thousand trucks, you know you can be you can be facing a you know a fifteen million dollar charge that your business plan didn't expect. Sure. And and so we really. You know, when we think about the hardware, 
you know, first and foremost, we're thinking about a sustainable platform for future function and use, mm-hmm. i.e. edge compute and adaptability. But we're also, from a physical point of view and a design point of view, we're, we're thinking about installation. And if we do have service on a regular basis, you got to think about, you know, serviceability. We build a lot of very rugged products, IP67, you know, stuff that goes outside in the weather. Right. Um, so you have the environmental constraints. But from a from a traditional design point of view, you know, the area of focus for us is, is thinking about, okay, how is this going to be deployed and how is it going to be maintained? Uh, you know, physically, and then of course on the software side, you have all the maintenance from us. You know, from a software. You know, you know that's where the device manager and all the the IoT stack you know connects to that hardware. And then now you're in a usability that's more screen based right. uh, usability. Right. 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 Yeah. Definitely. Um, having to think about the different kinds of design elements that go into these solutions is critical. Um, because they kind of they definitely go hand in hand, just like the hardware and software side of the entire solution. So. That's really interesting on, you know, having to wear both those hats and kind of thinking about it from different yep. angles and viewpoints. Um, one of the... Yeah, that's the systems point of, the systems point of view. It's always right. hardware and software. Exactly. So one of the things um, I thought you've mentioned a few times, uh, or you mentioned one of these items a few times, but other things at least once, about kind of just trends you're noticing in the IoT space. You talked about hardware-enabled and software-defined IoT emphasis on um, the, an importance of design more edge computing, death of a single standard type philosophy um, or viewpoint you have. I'd love it if you could kind of talk a little bit about any major trends in addition to those that you are seeing in the space or will you predict will kind of happen in the next few years. And then um, from there, I kind of want to dive into a few of the things you already mentioned. But if we can just start with kind of just any major trends or, or thoughts on kind of the IoT expansion over the next couple of years. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think, Interoperability and edge compute, you already mentioned, you know, those are very, those are big, mm-hmm. big and dominant trends. Um, I think a, a trend that is um, talked about a lot uh, is machine learning and AI. Mm-hmm. Um, as edge compute deploys, uh, the opportunity to start thinking about, you know, smarter systems, machine system, machine learning systems and AI are going to, you know, are going to present themselves. I I tend to think of a. I tend to think AI is not as well understood broadly mm-hmm. as it is by some who you know who really work in the area. I tend to think sure. it's a little bit uh, overused in the in the literature. Um, you know, if you've got a mathematical algorithm running uh, that's decide, you know, that's learning, but it's an algorithm that's learning. You know, for me, that's not true AI because it's deterministic. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to think of AI and machine learning, the difference between training and, and educating. You know, you train somebody to execute a task, you educate them to solve problems. And mm-hmm. I think we will be doing the same with with, equip, with equipment and IoT in the, in the coming years. I think we will, you know, I think, I, think this, I think this area of development will be dominated by machine learning for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, because to truly deploy AI, I think you you end up with a certain amount of indeterminism that will scare controls engineers and scare mission critical people where we work. Sure. Um, yeah. But it has great value in in areas where the consequence of an experiment or the consequence of a of a test you know a test that the machine actually decides to execute is not you know dire, um, and then things will start to become you know I think you can you you may see products 
evolve themselves to stay relevant. You know, I mean, you have the opportunity to think about that. Uh, you know, it's kind of the classic, uh, you know, Terminator type thinking, you mm -hmm. know, where the products change and the, the, the machine changes with time to be right. more effective. I think that's coming, but I think we'll see the trend is be dominated by, by digital twins. Mm -hmm. I, I love the, when I first heard about the concept of digital twins, coming from a product development background, I understood we were already using CAD tools to, to drop products to see if they broke before we built them. You know, mm -hmm. we could drop them right in the CAD tool. You could build it up and cast it, so to speak. And, you know, the mathematical model, you could drop it from any height and drop it on a certain orientation and it would tell you what would happen, right? That's a digital twin of an entire product. Um, I think digital twins will be another trend that you'll see, but it'll be it'll be in small steps. Um, we'll start to implement mathematical models for physical, you know, physical processes and physical things um, at the edge. Um, I think those are a couple. Uh, 5G is a trend that we're going to watch. Um, 5G is a little bit confusing to the space right now, in my opinion, because the two biggest things they talk about are bandwidth, which is not critical to a lot of IoT systems because we're in the, you know, we're down in the low cats and the low power wide area networks. Um, but they talk about latency and latency is critical, Absolutely. particularly in the industrial space. So there's a, there's a little bit of a, of a schizo, it's not a schizophrenia, but it's, you gotta, you got two things that, you know, typically bandwidth costs more money. I don't need the bandwidth, but I'd love the low latency. How do I, you know, how do I get both you know, right. what I want and that, and I think, so I think there's going to be, you know, there'll be a massive, anytime the carriers move to the next generation, there's a massive turnover, but for me, the and for Digi, the most probably the most important part about I about five G right now is the continuity that it promises in the you know in the IoT space in the low the low bandwidth space the Cat Ms Cat Ones, and so the trend that you'll see there I think is is um, things will move a little bit faster because people won't be as worried about whether or not the network's going to stay up like they were in the past sure. um, when they deploy IoT. Um, the statement we make in our pitch is uh, the time for the time for POCs is ended, mm -hmm. and I think I read this. I may have read it on one of your one of your blogs or yesterday. I read and somebody was writing that one of the trends that they see is companies moving from testing IoT solutions to deploying, and uh, I certainly believe that that is going to start happening, um, particularly for people who start with you know, the question about why am I doing this and what value am I creating? It, you know, it, it's all, it, eventually it all comes back to business fundamentals, right? Sure. And am I saving money? Am I generating money? You know, what am I, why am I doing this from a business and user perspective? Yeah. And I think we've, um, you know, when it comes to the POCs and kind of, you know, building um, MVPs of products, a lot of it right now uh, is required because, you have a group of people within an organization usually who have an idea and know what IoT can do, but the people maybe above them or the decision makers they have to deal with don't understand it well enough to kind of greenlight it. So we're built. We're seeing a lot of companies build MVPs and these the, proof of concepts to prove out what it could possibly do to kind of demonstrate some level of ROI to kind of get other people's buy and other key stakeholders buy in order for these solutions to be be able to be built out to be scaled and to be deployed and so forth. So. Um, at least that's what I've seen now. And I think as all these different technologies start to ramp up and people become more familiar with it and understand the value, then you're going to see a lot more people going straight to deployment than, than necessarily, not necessarily just building out these proof of concepts and they're kind of just living um, 
and never going anywhere after that. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think those are a couple of the bigger, you know, some of the bigger sure. trends. I you know, you can postulate other things. I think, uh, I do a fair, I do a fair amount of consulting in digital health. Um, okay. I think that, I think you will, we will start to see a lot more IOT type technology moving into healthcare. I think sure. healthcare has, uh, has a lot of opportunity that, um, you know, if I think about what's the biggest difference between the industrial space and the healthcare space when it comes to technology and when it comes to, to solving problems, it's, uh, it's biology, right? And mm -hmm. biology doesn't follow the laws of physics. I'm a physicist. Everything follows the laws, you know, tries to follow laws of physics. And, right. and the uncertainty and indeterminism of biology, you know, is something that IoT is actually extremely well suited to address because it gives you a platform by which to switch from, you know, algorithmic determination to statistical determination. And, and you can run, you know, Monte Carlo simulations, you can gather the data and figure out what the parameterization is. And you can start to predict things that you can't predict them in a single case, but when you have a lot of cases and you've been watching for a long time, then you can, you know, you can use the statistics and give yourself a prediction and an understanding of the risk of that prediction. Right. So I think IoT is going to be, you know, IoT is really well suited to deal with, you know, healthcare uh, from a data and analytics point of view. Absolutely. I mean, we're, I've been to a bunch of conferences lately. We, I mean, we were just at January with CES and healthcare and IoT was a big one. I mean, we talked to a lot of the big corporations um, and every booth we went to had some play in, in healthcare as it connects to IoT and technology. So yeah. I definitely agree with you. Um, one thing I think might be beneficial for our audience, because we mentioned a few times, and I know not everyone in our audience um, is as well versed in some of the stuff we're talking about, but could you explain just at a very high level what it means when you're when we say edge computing and moving a lot of that um, or a lot of the the handling to the edge of these solutions. Just kind of like explain what that means. Yeah, um, I think if if you if if you if you envision you know an IoT stack, you know your uh, your web page has a lot of good good visuals of it. But um, I think for right now we think about kind of three big layers of where compute lives. Mm -hmm. and, and when you think about compute, you think about microprocessors or any any computing capability, computing hardware. There's the physical edge, uh, which is where the, you know, the hardware, the sensors touch the physical world. And so mm -hmm. it's the very edge. I call, we call that the physical edge. Then you have what we call the aggregation edge. Uh, Cisco calls it the edge when they first started talking about the edge. And it's, the, it's, it's really those devices that aggregate data. Um, it's the routers and the gateways, and it can be phones because phones are effectively a gateway. Um, and then, and then you really, you know, you jump to the cloud. And so you've got, you know, physical edge compute and then, and, and what you have out there. So we sell a lot of RF modules, uh, they're called XP is our brand. And we have Zigbee modules and 900 megahertz and various different mesh technologies, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth modules. And all of those modules, you know, they have, they basically have little microcontrollers that run the radios and run a little software stack that, you know, that, that translates the communications from the radio to whatever type of network protocol you're going to use. And Moore's law has given us the ability to have unused 
compute power in those devices. And so our XB devices have um, a MicroPython capability. They have a, effectively a partition general purpose computing capability that our customers use to download you know, business logic or some sort of analysis, simple analysis or modeling. And uh, you can take data and change it, you know, change it into information or change its form or immediately take action if you, you know, if you, if you're so inclined or if you design for it. And as you move up the stack, you know, the ability to do compute, the ability, you know, the capacity of the compute and the complexity grows. So, you know, most, almost all aggregation devices, all routers and gateways today are effectively Linux boxes. So you can do a lot of compute at that point. And uh, I think that the other thing I just, I'm writing a piece right now uh, with uh, one of our, uh, our, our lead engineering directors who follows, he's on the, follows 5G and okay. is on the three PPP uh, groups. Harold Remert is his name. But anyway, that when 5G deploys, because of the bandwidth, because of the complexity of the network, and because of the density with which you know the network will deploy, there's going to be a very large additional layer of compute that's going to get deployed. And I think you actually saw at Mobile World Congress yesterday or the day before, there was an announcement between AT&T and Azure talking about that layer of compute. And that layer of compute is going to, you know, from today's standards, it's going to look like cloud level compute. It's going to have capacity that we typically only think of as being in the cloud, but it's not going to be in the cloud. It's going to be in the network, you know, at at very close distances um, because of the 5G deployment. And so all, you know, so eventually, so I think we're going to see four layers of compute, the top one being cloud compute. And you're going to have the ability to decide where should I be doing, you know, where should I be doing the computing that I need to do? Where should I be doing the analytics I need to do? Where should I be closing the loop? You know, a lot of companies are not willing to close the loop through the cloud today. They don't, you know, they can't, the, the networks from the edge to the cloud and back are not as deterministic as they're used to in industrial controls, for example. And, um, but as you get closer and closer to the edge, um, you know, that level of, of determinism and that level of confidence and reliability increases mm -hmm. and people will start closing the loop to make systems that are, you know, faster and, you, you know, they'll be viewed as being smarter because they'll make decisions on their own. Right. So what are some of the other benefits besides the speed um, of moving a lot of the computing to the edge? Uh, probably the one, probably the one we hear about the most is cost. Okay. If you, you know, if you, if you convert, if you convert data to action at the edge, you don't have to pay to get the data to the cloud to decide right. what to do. Absolutely. And so you can reduce, essentially you reduce the, the traffic over your, over your, uh, you know, your, the network that you're paying for, so to speak. Yep. Um, that's, that's probably, you know, that's one that everybody sees right away. Um, in a, anytime you reduce the amount of traffic, you reduce the amount of power. Mm -hmm. So if you're running systems that are battery powered systems or you have a battery powered you know, layer in the system somewhere, you also can save you know, energy and power. Right. Um, latency is a big one. We talked about that already. If I reduce latency, I can, I can do things that I, that I can't uh, do in other environments. And, uh, and I, think the, I, think there's a, I think there's an overall risk reduction that starts to happen um, because I think, you know, as you, 
as you start computing and converting information, uh, converting data into more actionable information, you, you know, a lot of IoT systems are monitoring systems. They're basically risk reduction systems. And so I think there's going to be a level of, a level of uh, risk management that's going to become more tangible uh, and more widely deployed uh, as people start to understand how to use edge compute. Gotcha. That's great. Um, so I want to move into the Ask IoT questions. We've talked a little bit about, I think, some of the, at least parts of the answers to some of these, but I want to go ahead and um, get into them now. And the first question we have okay. is, at a high level, can you explain what the difference between machine learning and AI is and why it's important in um, the Internet of Things? Yeah. Um, as, as I said before, I'll go through it again. You know, I, I, I've studied a little bit, you know, the difference between training someone to do something and teaching or educating someone. And I think, uh, you know, machine learning tends to be more deterministic, more mathematical, more algorithmic. And, and true AI, to me, um, enables, you know, experiential or experimental learning. Okay. There's a local company here called 75F that is one of the few companies I've seen that's doing true AI-based IoT deployment. And what they do is they they deploy baffles and sensors into a, um, a space, a, a restaurant space or an office space, and they... Um, the sensors are primarily temperature sensors. The baffles control the amount of hot air moving around through the HVAC system. And essentially, they allow the machine then, they allow the system at night to run experiments, basically open and close the baffles, turn on the, you know, turn on the heat or the air conditioning. And it, and it learns, it teaches itself through trial and error, and, right. and it learns how to, how to balance the heat loads Um you know, over time. And, and here in Minnesota, we'll have cold weather outside, but if you're in a building that has a lot of glass, the, the greenhouse effect, you know, you can have people that are very, very cold on one side of the building and people sweating on the other. And, you know, this, this, is, this, this type of solution, you know, addresses that type of problem, whereas a simple computational flow model that's typically used for HVAC design wouldn't do that because it would be a point in time design as opposed to an experiential design. So I think the the way the way I think about AI is: Am I allowing the machine to actually learn? Right. Um, and am I learning by correlation or am I learning by experiment? And there's nothing wrong with learning by correlation, um, but you know, real AI to me is is going to get into that area where. I, you know, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna know where the machine's gonna end up in terms of how it performs and what it does. Sure, which can kind of be scary for some people. Uh, Skynet, yeah, you know, <laughs> Skynet has scared a lot of people. That's right. Yeah, we had um, an episode I did. I think it was yesterday or the other day. We uh, were talking about robots and just the fear people have of, of robots. So we're trying to take some of the time to lessen that fear by, you know, explaining practical use cases for robotics and when does it actually start scaring people and what we kind of determined in that conversation was when you start to put like a human element to it people start to get freaked yeah. out by robots so um so we yeah. you know, ai is not it hasn't been given any favors by the media or movies um but i think the people who are more closer to it know the power yeah. from a you know uh, in a good sense of what it can do so yeah yeah <laughs> um so the second question we have is, as a product lead for my company, I'm trying to assess 
backend options for an application in the MVP stage, what is important for me to keep in mind when building an MVP to help us or help set us up for success as we move towards scale? Okay. Um, I kind of, you know, I kind of hear two, there's kind of, there may be two ways to answer this. So okay. the first, you know, what is important for me to keep in mind? Uh, my first thing I would say is make sure you're solving a hard problem. Make sure you're solving a problem that matters. Sure. Um, you know, that's that start with why. But that that's kind of the, that's an overview statement. It's not specific to the back end. Um, if the question is really about back end options, um, I actually think, you know, that that the, there are a number of back end options today that, are very viable in almost all solutions. You know, the big backend players are making their products, their offerings more and more usable, easier and easier to use. And what I would actually say, um, it's kind of like when we used to help companies do product development and if they ask us about what operating system should we use. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the right answer is usually, well, what operating systems do your, do your coders understand? Um, and, and so I would say, you know, there, there's the big name backend systems, you know, and whether you're going all the way to the AWS Azure level, or you're talking about any of the many kind of more, you know, domain specific, um, application stacks or platform stacks. Um, I think, I think the, I think they, the backend has matured to a point where the the most important criteria for me would be what is your team comfortable with what are they what are they familiar with how do they move the fastest um, you know what tools do they understand um, so that's kind of the way that's kind of the way we think about it here at at Digi you know we we think about what do we what are we really good at using and what are our customers comfortable with? Mm -hmm. um, it's less of a technology decision, more of a, of a business decision uh, regarding, you know, speed and agility with your development team. Have you just, uh, I'm curious if in your experience building these end to end solutions, has there been maybe one area that, or one consistent area that people often overlook or a mistake people commonly make um, during that, that MVP stage that they kind of come back to bite them maybe later on when they kind of want to move forward? Yeah. There's two that come to mind. Okay. One of them is they, they just haven't, you know, they, they haven't really focused on the problem they're solving. They, they, you know, they're a little bit, a little bit kind of stuck in a technology push uh, or they found, you know, this, this seems like it's really important to me, but it may not be really important to the users they're targeting. That's one. But the other, the other is more interesting um, for me is if you're working in the IOT space and you're too product centric, too hardware centric, um, you will get caught up and bound up worrying about cost. And IoT is not a cost problem. I mean, Moore's Law has made almost everything free, effectively. I mean, things that I things that I wanted to do, or we wanted to do at Honeywell in the '90s, you know, are are a thousand times cheaper today, right? Right. And and some of those things we didn't deploy in the '90s because the cost benefit analysis wasn't there, but today it is. And you know, cost should not be an issue that you. You know, the cost is not, I think, an issue 
for systems, it's value. Mm -hmm. And so if you if your team gets caught up trying to make some part of the hardware system cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, then I would say you're focused on the wrong thing. Right? I mean, if because everything is so cheap today, if if you can't justify that hardware cost over a period of time, because people will buy things for a period of time, right? They'll give you 12 months of commitment to pay for the hardware and the software. And if you can't get that with today's hardware costs, then, you know, I think you're not solving a problem that maybe is needs to be solved. Okay. And, and so, you know, once, once you are solving a problem and you, then you start optimizing your business, of course, you're going to start thinking about, okay, how do I take cost out of the whole platform? Right. Right. But we run into companies that come to us with what basically just a cost problem. I got to make this hardware cheaper. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would say nine times out of 10, you know, that's, that's a failed effort because the real problem is you're not solving a problem that justifies the cost that you have. And, you know, you're not, you know, you, we're not in an optimization stage yet. We're still trying to get, you know, adoption and deployment. Yeah. And, and one of the things interesting is a lot of the companies that I've spoken with um, who come to the table with a solution for a particular vertical, they kind of have in their, and they're just, let's, these are companies just starting out. They kind of, they come to the table with a very like, pr high price per device kind of cost, which is making it very hard for people to want to adopt these solutions. You know, they're coming in with a couple dollars per device. And there's going to be the tens of thousands. So, like on paper, it sounds awesome if you can get somebody to deploy 100,000 of your sensors. Right. But the reality is nobody's going to be able to afford that. You're going to have to bring that from a couple dollars to 10 to 15 cents kind of thing. And it just it freaks people out when you tell the company who's selling the solution that you know, you're overpriced by a large factor. Um, nobody's going to pay for that. And kind of just seeing the response they obviously get when they do talk to a customer and they tell them the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's kind of a statement of a, you know, the way I see it, that's kind of a statement of a classic supply and demand. Sure. Right? If, yeah. if you've looked at it and said, well, this is the value, you know, pricing is all about value. And see so if this is the value people will put on this, and if they don't have, you know, from that point, that's another way to say, I think, you know, with this, you know, say the statement about it's, it's not so much about cost, it's about value. Right. But if you don't have enough value, then, you know, if, if, you know, getting to getting down, you know, getting rid of the cost is, it's tough today. I mean, there's a lot of very low cost mm -hmm. technologies. Right? And if you need even lower cost, then you may use, you know, Typically, you wait, you know, you wait for it to catch up or you figure out how to make it, you know, more effective. One way, one way we see people, you know, there are, there are different business models in terms of OPEX and CAPEX. And um, Digi does a lot of work in retrofit right now where we help people retrofit an installed base. And retrofits are interesting because you might have 100,000 pieces of equipment that need to be connected. Right. And you would want to connect them as fast as you can because the value proposition starts as soon as the data starts. But that can be a lot of capital, right? And sure. so having the ability to deploy, you know, using an OPEX model where you pay over time, exactly. you know, can can enable it's a different business model it's the you know it's similar to the SaaS business model when they moved from enterprise software to SaaS models right it's right. very similar and it works in some markets very well yeah absolutely um, yeah we're, we've kind of seen a variety of different situations where capex has worked well and opex has worked well but again it's it's if that value is not seen and a lot of times that value is driven by cost for the end user and kind of where, where right. what makes sense for them 
Um, it's great. Right. So let's, this last question we have is, um, how are legacy systems affecting the shift to IoT? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, the way I would say it is I think legacy systems today are offering very fertile ground for mm -hmm. IoT. Um, I read, I remember hearing an Intel VP, I think it was 2013, and I found this, I found the data recently in a Hitachi report. 85% of all industrial equipment is still not connected. This is a high level statement, of course. And most of that equipment won't turn over for the next 10 to 15 years. And that that's basically the definition of a retrofit market. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of this equipment was built and deployed before, you know, equipment health maintenance and, and diagnostic systems and all the things, all the different value props that, that IoT data streams provide today. It was, you know, they were deployed before those were considered. And, and so I think, I think the, you know, how is it affecting IoT? Uh, Vodafone just published an IoT report, a survey report. And I think the numbers they said was that roughly 90% of the of the companies that they surveyed are deploying IOT and 50% of the time they're doing it on existing equipment. Okay. And so basically it's a statement that, you know, half of the IOT deployments going on today are effectively retrofits. Hmm. So I think if, you know, we have companies that, that come in and they ask us to help them design a new version of their product that has IOT connectivity and IOT value propositions. Um, but a lot of them, you know, as soon as they as soon as they justify that development work and they justify that transformation, they can turn and look backwards to the installed base and say, "Hey, I could I could turn I could turn this value proposition on on everything I've already installed," mm -hmm. and that you know, so that is a huge opportunity, and I think um, so. I think legacy systems. Um, Whereas they may be viewed as a barrier or or a, a you know or slowing down, it's like a like a big inertial mass. Right. I think the technology today is gonna is gonna give people the ability to look at that as an opportunity and not as a is not as not as a drag on the on the businesses. It's interesting because I'm wondering or I'm curious if you you know have come across working with clients who have a legacy system and they want a solution built on top of it, if that becomes more of a headache versus just building something clean kind of from the ground up, um, do you have like a preference on like, you know, what kind of products you'd rather work on or is, do you kind of see them both as an opportunity just in a different um, It's a great question for, I build furniture <laughs> and I'd always rather build a new piece of furniture yeah. than refinish a piece of furniture. I don't like refinishing. Right. I, I've, uh, you know, and, and I'm not somebody who likes to flip a house. I'd rather build it from the ground up. So I think, you know, as an engineer and, a, and a, as a systems person, you always want to build the best thing you know how to build today, right? And if you're looking at a piece of equipment that was installed 10, you know, built, installed, designed, you know, designed, built, and installed 10 years ago, by definition, you're going to be able to look at it and say, I could do this better if I did it this way. Right. Um, but the reality is that, you know, that design, build, and install investment is probably not going to justify, you know, the operational improvement that you want to make. Yeah. Right. It's kind of like, when do I tear the house down versus when do I recite it? Right. And uh -huh. it's the same 
simple question. And, you know, so as a developer, yeah, you, you always want to build the best thing you can build with the most modern technology. But as a business person and as a, you know, to be honest, as a designer, if I can improve the performance of something that's out there, if I can dramatically, uh, 75F talks about 70% reduction in heating costs when they do their balanced, you know, heating flow models. You know, there are some big numbers out there in terms of efficiencies that can be affected on, uh, on legacy equipment mm -hmm. simply by just turning them on and off at different times. You know, that's the, that's the primary proposition in lighting, right? It's just turning them on and off mm -hmm. at the proper times. Um, the same thing is true in water. Just about anything that flows has, you know, efficiencies just with simple, uh, you know, you know, modulation schemes. And but you need data in order to make the modulation schemes effective and involve and effective in the lifestyle or the operational performance of the system. So, you know, would I rather, you know, I I don't refinish furniture very often. I always build from the ground up. But you know, if I if I look at all the all the furniture that's out there that needs to be you know, it needs to be uh, improved. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of refinishing work for somebody sure. to do. So the, to wrap this all up, what advice would you give to somebody who is trying to decide on in that in that situation to, you know, build or build on top of their legacy? Like, what would you tell them they should be thinking about or considering outside of just cost? Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, today, you know, the technology today is really, really exciting. And, you know, that it's great to work with people that, you know, love the technology and they like to think about what it can do. You know, they're innovators, right? And they're looking at what can I do with this and innovate this today. Right. Um, but what I'd really, you know, I'd really just stress again is make sure that the technology matters, you know, make sure that what you're doing is important um, and matters to someone. Um, make sure you open your field of view, you know, wide enough to, to not, you know, to, to see who has problems out there and which mm -hmm. problems to solve. Um, I think that's, you know, I think that's what I would say. And the last thing I'd, I think I'd say is, you know, IoT is an ecosystem. Nobody does the whole stack. Uh, you, you will need to have partners. You will need to get help. Um, make sure you understand what you know and what you don't know and find, you know, find somebody to work with to help you, you know, help you make yourself better. Uh, and, you know, at solving those problems. Very cool. Great. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on this. Um, I want to just finish up and see if there's anything you want to leave the audience with or, or and um, if there is, if people have any questions or want to connect with you in some way on maybe something you said, learn more about your company, how can they do that? Yeah. Um, I think I probably said, but, I'll, you know, what I like, what I wrote down about what do I want to leave them with, you know, make sure a lot of talented people listening to your, you know, reading and listening to your, uh, you know, your, your webpage and your podcast, you know, make sure you're making your efforts matter, right. you know, make sure that what you build matters. I think that's, that's an obligation. Those of us who work in technology have make sure mm -hmm. it matters. Um, I can be reached on LinkedIn, you know, Scott Nelson, and you find me on Digi, uh, Twitter. I, I have a Twitter, uh, Scott underscore Nelson 19 is my Twitter account. And, um, those are I, I post occasionally, and uh, you know, so you'll find you'll follow most most of my most of my posts will be uh, able to be found in those two sources. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, we'll make sure we link that up in the um, the notes that'll that'll accompany the podcast. So, 
other than that, you know, Sky, I really appreciate you being on. I thought it was highly informative and um, appreciate you breaking some of those more technical everyday kind of things that you, you know, deal with. And, and both of us have heard many times down so that people could um, better understand what we're talking about. And I think there's a ton of value in this episode. So, so thanks again. And Good. hopefully we'll have you, you know, back on sometime in the future. And uh, we, I'm, you know, I appreciate all the nice things you said earlier too about um, yeah. before we got on here about what we're doing here. So we really appreciate your support as well. Well, I thank you very much, Ryan. I appreciated uh, the invitation and I enjoyed the discussion. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks. All right, everybody. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Ask IoT series on the IoT for All podcast with Scott Nelson, the CPO of Digi International. If you did enjoy this, please leave a rating or review on whichever platform you're listening to us on. It helps others find it and lets us know you're a fan, which is pretty cool for us. Also, don't forget about subscribing so that you always get the latest episodes the second they become available. And please remember that if you do have any questions about IoT, anything related to IoT, the Internet of Things, or for one of our guests specifically, please use the hashtag AskIoT or tweet us directly at IoT for All, and we'll be sure to review the question and hopefully have it featured on one of our next episodes. Thanks again for listening.